Are you, uh, you were freaking hitting that, hitting that Vapetron 420 style? No, I was not. I just have something in my throat. I'm, I'm hitting that, uh, affable chat pretzel wheat ale. Oh my God. Oh, okay. This, uh, this podcast brought to you by alcohol. Do you want to uh, feel bad about the things that you're doing and maybe uh, have some regrets in the morning? Or maybe you want to just kind of drink poison until you make decisions that are not like consistent with your value system. So when people call you out on it later, you can say, eh, I was drunk. There you go. Alcohol. It solve all your problems. Wow. We're so lucky to have a quality product like alcohol sponsoring this episode and making it possible. Welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host, Joey. Oh, thank you. And uh, today we're talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox. I used to do this professionally, and I was very successful at it. I had to get out of it for personal reasons, but I've decided to secretly do one last big job on the sly. I'm bringing you in as my secretary and personal assistant. Okay. This is actually kind of a big deal, so don't just say, okay. Okay, well, thank you. I'm going to tape this for my records, so don't make a lot of sounds. Meaning stop rocking. Master plan, phase one, side A. This is a stop-animated family crime comedy with anthropomorphic animals. Directed by Wes Anderson. The cast includes Danny Ocean, Miranda Priestley, Chris Christofferson, Dumbledore, Jason Schwartzman, Phil Connors, Dennis Leary, and a bunch of Wes Anderson's favorite actors. Yeah, so um, who's Chris Christofferson? Who's, Chris, who's Chris, Chris Christofferson is a singer. Um, he's, his, some of his most famous uh, uh, works are Me and Bobby McGee, For the Good Times, Sunday Morning Coming Down. Um, he was born in 1936. His, so Chris Christofferson, you, may, you hear that name, you're like, wow, that's a crazy name. That is What's a crazy his, name. What is his real name? You want to want to know what his real name is? Sure, Christopher Christopherson. <laughs> okay, I guess I should have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on Google when I was looking up Chris Christopherson, and it was like Chris Christopherson real name. And it's just wow. a, it's just more of his last name is his first name. <laughs> that remind that's uh, in the Simpsons. There's those two guys that are always at Most Tavern with Homer. There's Lenny Leonard and Carl Carlson. And I'm sure they'd be among friends with Chris Christopherson. <laughs> um, okay, I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. Excellent. Uh, go ahead and give us the synopsis for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay, I will. A fox has a midlife crisis, and like every midlife crisis, endangers his entire family and community. That You know what? That really is every midlife crisis. <laughs> uh, it's why the suburbs are always in such absolute chaos. Uh, so, this is Fantastic Mr. Fox, a return to Wes Anderson. I'm, uh, it's been too long. How many Wes Anderson movies have we done now? Three? This is our third. I mean, come on. We're like two straight males doing a podcast. We have to like <laughs> make sure we rack up the Wes Anderson movies. Um, so, why don't you get us started with your pros? What did you like about this movie, Joey? Um, I like that it was stop animation. Uh, it's a great medium, especially for Wes Anderson. Uh, it's a fun original story with great music and dialogue. Um, it has a memorable, and it's very memorable and weird and all, for all those reasons, for the music, the dialogue, the animation, and the story. Um, and it really just stands out um, uh, just as any Wes Anderson movie does. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, he's he's notable for a reason. I know we joke, but like there's 
you know, Wes Anderson usually is uh, somebody that you want to talk about with cinema because he just does such impressive things with regularity. Um, and this is such a unique movie. I had no idea what to expect uh, going into this. I just had heard people say it was good. And honestly, I had no idea what I was walking into. And I, was, I, I loved it. So it was very unique. Um, stop motion, I agree with you, is very cool. I, I love stop. I have like a certain respect for it. Uh, because it's so tedious and, and difficult. Uh, so I, whenever it comes together like this, I love it. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, like every, it, just like every Wes Anderson film, um, like every frame of this movie is beautiful. It's like that YouTube account, uh, every frame a painting. That's yes. very true with this movie. Uh, it's extremely beautiful. It's funny. It, it'll make you laugh. Like it definitely is, earns its like, categorization under a comedy if you want to try to categorize it that way <laughs> okay um and I, I like the way that they blur the lines between animals and humans with having some of the animals wear clothing and all, all the all that kind of stuff and also i thought the animals were just so cute dude oh, they like, really were i wasn't i didn't like notice this until i was i was re-watching like some of the scenes this uh like a few hours ago and yeah, the animals are so cute. Oh, they're big old eyes and stuff. Yeah. The little fur. Especially, there's just some really powerful shots of just straight on fox like face. Fox like, face. Yeah, just like they're staring at you with their big old eyes and tearing up sometimes. And it's just so cute. And uh, it's, it's great. I love it. Um, okay, let's move on to our cons. For me, my con is, I, I barely even categorize it as a con, but I, I think... It was the one thing that's annoying to me whenever I watch a Wes Anderson film is sometimes there's just too much on screen to possibly absorb it all in one viewing. And what I find myself doing is sometimes being anxious that I missed something, especially when you're like shown a piece of paper that has you know, a bunch of stuff to read and you only get to read like one or two things and then it's on to the next thing. You're like, what, what did I miss? You know? And I just, it gives me some anxiety, not knowing that I got, I am feeling like I may have missed something important. Uh, but at the same time it adds value to the review. So it's like hard to really yeah. put a con on that, but still this movie, there's a lot of moving parts and I, uh, Sometimes well, I mean, it's all. kind of what you were just saying, right? Like you could pause this movie at any scene and take in so much detail. I mean, and yeah, even like I, I paused it at those newspapers to read the, the Fox around town columns to see what he yeah, was talking too. about. <laughs> they were pretty good. So like the like that kind of detail is just, you know, that's Wes Anderson's like bread and butter. Well, so and, and it's, you would think that like I, my con is initially that upon the first viewing, I had to keep pausing and going back to see to make sure I got it all. I rewatched this movie yesterday. Um and I did it without subtitles and uh, without pausing because yeah. I didn't, I wanted to get like that full effect. And it does, it works so well in a smooth viewing, especially because oh, I yeah. felt like I already knew where to look and stuff. Um, so they, I mean, it's yeah. still good, but <laughs> it was hard to like, it was hard to kind of like watch it and pause it because it was like, I just want to enjoy this. Like, this is so much, there's so much going on. It's so much fun. Yeah. So my big con is that Mr. Fox is kind of a dick. Um, and he never really learns any of his lessons. Um, everything kind of just works out just fine for him. There's like only really one moment of cr like pure crisis where he thinks all is lost. And even then, like it's just kind of subverted. Um, everyone else kind of orbits around him. It's almost like everybody else in the movie is like their character name should be their relationship to Mr. Fox in a way. <laughs> Um, and the, the, none of them are flushed out quite the way that he is. Um, the, some of them are, but there's just, just not quite enough detail there. Um, 
And I feel like you're just more likely to remember specific scenes than how the whole plot works out. I was I was going to say this movie is almost episodic, which makes it a little bit forgettable, but I think I don't think that's quite right. I, when I was thinking back on it, just trying to remember everything that happens in the movie, I'm like, yeah, I can follow how the story goes. But it, it's kind of the same like structure over and over again, um, which lends itself to like memorable scenes, but maybe the plot itself being like, what was the movie about again? Like, wh why was he running away from the farmers or what was going on? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I feel like there's just, again, almost like there's too much going on, but I, I just think that there's the story suffers a little bit in, in terms to the, uh, in compared to the stop animation and the detail that's in the background. Okay. Well, let's move on to our overall section, and it's a Wes Anderson movie, dude. It's a Wes Anderson movie, so you know the first word out of my mouth is aesthetic. Right? Aesthetic. It, it's on point, as always, for Wes Anderson films. Like the the way that the music and the visuals, especially the colors, like all come together, it's top notch. Um, I mean, the fact that it was all stop motion, I think, uh, just allows for more creative control from uh, Wes Anderson and. I don't want to oversimplify it. Obviously, movie making is a collaborative effort, and there are many people that had their hands in this. Um, but it all seems to come together under the direction of Wes Anderson with a lot of consistency, um, and they and they they killed it. Um, I think it's really good. Stop motion is so immersive that you forget you're watching stop motion. Uh, th oh, yeah. This movie especially is a little bit jumpy. Uh, they I read on IMDb that they filmed this at twelve frames per second when traditionally 24 frames frames per second is uh used for stop motion and it may it's really noticeable at first you're kind of like what am i even watching here look at how right. real their fur is that kind of <laughs> makes me uncomfortable but once you start once the movie gets into its flow you totally forget all that and you just dive into this magic world that's not like unlike anything you've ever seen yeah well there's that, that one of the very first scenes when they're sneaking into that that first farm um, Mr. Fox and his his wife. The, there's that whole scene where the, the camera just kind of pans over and they're like going through all the different it's like, like a side scroll, farm. It's like a Mario. Yeah, exactly. Mario. And they're like jumping all over and stuff. Like I feel like that's a really good transition for the audience to be like, oh, look at this amazing stop motion and all this stuff that we're doing all at once. You know, all this all these movements that we're doing. But then it also brings you in to be like, oh, what is the story here? What's going on? What's happening? So it's it like. It is kind of jarring when you first turn it on in a way for the reasons you said, but I feel like that first scene with like that high octane suspense, I guess, kind of moves you into transitions you into stop focusing on the on the uh, the the medium and start looking to the story. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, stop it. Stop it. Motion just lends itself to Wes Anderson's style because he's just so detail oriented, um, and the texture of this movie is just so unique as well. Um, and like, although you can never really confuse it for real, uh, it's like that this real tangible quality to it. I think it, the fur is part of it, but it's just like the, like the leaves and, you know, all the little structures that he builds in the backgrounds and stuff. You know, in other Wes Anderson movies, like Grand Budapest Hotel, he has like miniatures or, you know, that are kind of stop motion. Um, and those can kind of feel a little bit jarring because you're like, what is this? You know, he's like changing the way that you're seeing the way you're seeing the movie at that point. But uh, with with this one that's all the way through so it's it's pretty seamless and even like in uh isle of dogs right the uh, the scenes that are on the the, the teleprompters or whatever or anything anything that's on a screen is on um is in 2d animation but that doesn't happen in this one either so everything is pretty much seamless and you're you're never really t quite taken out of 
the stop animation world. Right, and and I love the way that they kind of, the worldview is different. And I don't re- really think that this is them trying to be like, this is how foxes see the world, because I feel like it would be a lot more granular in that case. It would They would sure. see the tree that's 10 feet away from them as the bigger structure, which, I mean, I guess the tree, like they would see like bushes and stuff as larger than maybe just seeing a, empty field that leads to these large buildings where the humans live. Um, but that's what I'm saying is he has this perspective that's consistent. So it doesn't feel like you're jumping out of one world into another when he's looking out his window to look at the, uh, the farms. Yeah. 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 I, I thought that, uh, that mural that Mrs. Fox ends up painting that kind of shows the whole story in one shot, uh, is it's so beautiful. Like I had to pause it and just kind of appreciate that. Uh, and she even signs it. So it's a real piece of art. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's consistent throughout. That is really how we see the world. So it's very recognizable. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about Mr. Fox. And obviously this movie is about him as he's the title uh, character. The titular character, you mean? Yes, well, titular, yes. And he is so cool. He's a smooth talker. <laughs> he's super confident. And George Clooney was a great choice for his voice, um, which is super essential because it turns out Mr. Fox is kind of problematic. Uh, <laughs> another name for this movie, I think, now that I've seen it, if someone wanted to refer to it, would be like the problematic Mr. Fox. Because um, okay. he, he broke the, his... You're ruining the alliteration but okay (laughs) well mr fox he did it to himself man he broke his promise uh about like getting out of the the bird stealing business he lied to his wife's face multiple times just blatant lies uh straight up which is pretty problematic um even though it was a pretty epic scheme he wanted to put on it put everyone in his community in unnecessary jeopardy. And I feel like he kind of knew that, you know, or at least knew that that was a risk. I, I don't feel like that was after everything we heard about um, Bunce, or Bogus Buns and Bean, he should know that there was going to be repercussions for his actions. And he just. Yeah, didn't. well, he never seems to like understand the consequences of what he's doing, you know? Like it's, it never quite. Like he's always kind of in fun, you know. It's never like, "Oh, I'm in real danger," kind of thing. But he definitely he, he always should, just kind of like I don't, I don't yeah, see exactly. any. Everybody else like sees him as being reckless. Yeah. I mean, Kylie certainly, Kylie's along for the ride, but he's certainly reluctant, um, and he's much more reasonable. Yeah. Um. So like, yeah, it, it, he everything he's doing is like, is doesn't make sense to anybody else except for him. But he can't be dissuaded. He always goes with what he wants to do. You know? Yeah, well, including trivializing his son and like simultaneously openly praising Christofferson. Just, yeah, like, <laughs> that's a, a pretty blatant. Yeah, and it's... it's. I, I don't know. Like, I didn't understand like, if that was supposed to be more subtle or not. Because it was very explicit that he was like, oh, my son? Yeah, screw that guy. Cuss that Cuss guy. Cuss that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It, this it, new kid, he's taller. He's more athletic. Yeah. It, we'll give him a real bandit So mask. when you really think about it, he's like kind of hard to like his behavior is heinous uh and without a smooth talking voice like Clooney and without like the uh, you know witty lines that Mr. Fox ends up having I don't know if we'd be able to see past the problematic Mr. Fox in order to see the fantastic right he he does end up saving the day um but it's hard for me to uh, like make that block out all the faults that I saw in who he was and how he just kind of gets lucky to get out of it as opposed to showing like true repentance or uh, developing as a character. All through that, I still do think they pull it off and he comes across as this fantastic Mr. Fox, but he definitely has some serious flaws. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, there's that whole thing that when they first, uh, when the, the tree is first knocked over, right? They they dig straight down, and then um, they're like, he's like about to give some sort of rousing speech, like he always does, um, and uh, his wife is like, let me, you know, pull me, pull you aside, and let me have a word with you, and then that's when she scratches him. Remember? Yeah. And he has that scratch for the rest of the movie. But she says something like, uh, I can't remember exactly what she says, but it's something along the lines of, I. Uh, I know how this story ends. This story is very predictable. And he says, oh, how does it end? And she says, we all die. Um, unless you change. Like, unless you change, right. But does he change at all? He seems a little bit more appreciative of the people in his in his life, certainly. You know, he's kind of embraces diversity, which is kind of a, a, like a, a theme in this movie. But it doesn't quite, um, I don't know, it's, it's not like he says, oh, I'm going to give up stealing now you know and just become a newspaper columnist he just kind of wants it all well yeah his when he gets it all he continues to steal from the same humans even uh and able and in the end to enable his community to continue living in this new situation that they're in because that's the only situation they can be in because of his action because that's the situation he put him in (laughs) so it's like you can look at him as a redeemable hero in the end because he ends up like kind of solving their problems but you could also be like if he didn't do his problematic stuff in the first place there'd be no reason to save the day there yeah exactly so it, yeah it, he's problematic <laughs> that's the best way to put it i guess yeah I, I i felt the same way you know he and there's like that whole thing where he says like when he's about to go sacrifice himself right he uh he's like he like repents to his son he's like i always like i always loved you i'm so glad that i had you as a son or whatever and it's like is that that doesn't feel earned really like he never like up until that point i thought he couldn't care less about his son honestly like i would have i would have been just as surprised if he had been like eh whatever that kid you know yeah it felt it felt more circumstantial than really meaningful it it was like all right I'm about to literally die. So I So it, so the more heroic and legendary thing is to apologize for everything I've done. You know? Well, that's one way like to look to, at it. The other way could be and I, I realize this is Fox, so maybe he doesn't see it this way, but like the empathetic thing to do is to be like, I'm gonna leave this kid with one less problem. He's go I'm gonna go die and he's not gonna have to think about for the rest of his life that his dad li- like literally hated him. I can try to like smooth that one over before I get I don't out of buy here. that for a second. He's so selfish. <laughs> he only thinks about himself. I mean, like, it's it's clear from the very beginning when, like, he's like, oh, we should do this or do that. And whenever his wife is like, well, I like this idea, he's like, but have you considered this other idea that we should do instead? And she's just like, at that point in the relationship, I guess, she just realizes that there's no use arguing with him and he's just going to do whatever he wants anyway. Yeah. He, so <laughs> actually, yeah, you, you're right. He probably was like, I'm going to die. I better make sure my son thinks I'm epic before I leave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. In the case he doesn't actually think I'm epic because I'm clearly epic, I should make sure that he thinks I am before I go. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Oh, boy. Well, I feel like I touched on this a little bit earlier, but the story itself is structured in this kind of this weird way. Um, but I feel like it ties itself into the theme of this movie. Like the movie feels very episodic. Each section, there's like a, each section, chapter or act or whatever you want Phase. to call it is, yeah, self-similar. The fox will hatch a plan. The humans react. The, ho- the fox hatches a plan. The humans react over and over again. And as we move through the story, you know, things, settings, characters change, but the central conflict seems eternal almost, you know? It, it's not like they build to something bigger than that, 
Like the climax, of course, is exciting, but there's not any greater stakes at that point than there is any other point in the movie. And it's not like they defeat some ultimate evil or make some grand sacrifice or like, you know, anything like that. They just kind of survive to fight another day. Um, yeah, I mean, they do have cooperation, but it never really seemed like they were divided. It, once they found each other and they were like, okay, this is your fault, Fox, but like, still tell us what to do. <laughs> we have to make the best of yeah. it. Right. And I think that I, I, I kind of like that idea of like having this kind of eternal thing, right? Like, no matter where they go, like, these humans are going to be there and they're going to be doing the same things and they're going to be exploitable, I guess. Well, I just want to comment also just on that kind of episodic nature. Whenever I see title cards in a movie, I, it always leads to predictions. Because you're when they show you phase one, you're like, okay, is this whole movie going to be about these, uh, like, stealing the, things? About Iron Man and Thor. Right, yeah. like, is, is phase one going to be the first third of the movie, phase two? Um, or is it, you know, it's and you see, like, a title card before something happens and you're like okay did that it was that real is it telling me actually what's about to happen or is it kind of a misdirection and i feel like this movie kind of throws the title cards at you just to mess with you because it, it doesn't you really so? feel it doesn't feel structured by the end well you see title cards happen a lot and, and maybe that leads to this notion of like an episodic nature to this because each little section has a title card, but it doesn't seem like they're very coherent. Like they're just kind of a label to give the next part a little flavor, kind of a tone, set the yeah, tone yeah. before it gets into it. I really, I wonder if that's from the, from the book. That's a good question. You know, that's a good question. The book was a novel, so it's possible it had chapters and maybe each of those chapters was labeled one of the chapters we have in the it book. It did seem to indulge, uh, Mr. Fox in his plan because he was talking, he was recording it, so it kind of seemed like it was going along with his recording, at least at that mm. in that moment. But obviously, the title cards extend to many more things than just his big, uh, you know, tr three part or triple header, uh, yeah, 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 thieving plan, the giant plan. Um, that, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if like we're supposed to interpret this movie through Mr. Fox's eyes. You know, is he the is he the also the narrator? And so like his favorable outlook that you get at the end of the movie where you're still like, ah, that charming rascal Fox. Um, like maybe that's the way he views himself in a okay. way. Um, and uh, maybe if we saw it through, say, Ash's eyes, it'd be a completely different story. Could be, could be. Could be. Anyway, the dialogue is also pretty clever. There's lots of great jokes um, and all a lot of good like wordplay and stuff. Um, especially with the, the continued use of the word cuss instead of using actual curse words. Um, it kind of cements this as a kid's movie, but it like it literally is like a, a sentence that kids will interpret one way and adults will interpret a different way, um, which is kind of clever. Uh, the characters, especially Mr. Fox, talk in this kind of exaggerated formal way that kind of lifts the characters into like a different class almost. They're educated and cunning and their use of language reflects that. Yeah, I agree. I but, loved the the dialogue in this movie. It's some of yeah. the funniest bits. Uh, that's what I feel like. Um, that's how I feel movie dialogue should be. I don't feel like movie dialogue should reflect reality that closely. I feel like it should be heightened, um, especially in a movie that's like, like this where it's kind of like the legend of the fantastic mr fox you know it it, ha it deserves like this extra element of grandiosity i guess yeah yeah and and i especially love the way they play with the word cuss um like you said it it, it makes it so you can have a family-friendly movie um but still have like realistic dialogue and and i think 
what's important is establishing the power of the word cuss early. Uh, and so we have this clip uh, from the Beaver Dam when uh, Mr. Fox goes to talk to his lawyer about purchasing the house. So we'll play that here. And summation, I think you just got to not do it, man. That's all. I understand what you're saying and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. The cuss you are. The cuss am I? Are you cussing with me? No, you cussing with me. Don't cuss and point. You're going to cuss with somebody. Don't you're you, not going to cuss with me, you little cuss. cuss Just by the tree. Okay. So this, this establishes the word cuss as a replacement for pretty much all profanity because of the, all the uses that they use there. But also it leads to this very primal growling and actual confrontation going on between them showing that th this word has weight. <laughs> In this <laughs> universe, yeah, this it, these are fighting words. And um, so that, that lays a foundation that throughout the rest of the movie we can interpret this word with the same power of an actual expletive uh, without any of the actual offensiveness of, of cussing. Because one of the uh, most habitual uses, users of the word cuss is uh, Bean, uh, Mr. Bean, the farmer Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he says it, it sounds like he's a pissed off old man, you know? <laughs> Get the cuss right. over here, you know? Like it's... And it just works so well. So I truly believe you get the best of both worlds. You get a family-friendly film that doesn't cut, like cuss at you, um, while simultaneously, you know, uh, preserving this realism of what it would actually sound like to have a character who's mad or frustrated uh, right. or exasperated let their emotions out. That yeah, it doesn't feel like a. It doesn't really feel like a censor in a way. It's it's kind of ex it's it's like fitting for this world that they've built up. This like cute animated world with little talking foxes and other animals you know yeah i agree this is the, this is what they would use in the, in the way more than something a lot so much more like like uh i don't know i want to say primal but like like gravelly as like the f word right right yeah it would feel like you're watching like south park or something if these animals were all dropping <laughs> yeah an f word because like yeah because south park kind of plays with his expectations of being an animated show right, right. So it's supposed to be for kids, but look, that fox is dropping an f bomb. Like it's it's actually raunchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but it it totally avoids that while still preserving the the power of curse words in just any vocabulary. So I think that that's really it cool. is pretty clever. And um, with that primal growling that was at the end of that argument, um, it leads me to my next point, which is the wild animal aspect of this movie, how they kind of play with that. So Mr. Fox's reasoning for why he had to be reckless is because he's a wild animal, right? Um, but at the end of the movie, we meet a real wild animal, a, um, a wolf, and he's quite different from the wild animals we've seen to that point in the movie. The wild animals, I say with air quotes, because um, the, the wolf is truly wild. The wolf's not only animated differently, but also has no clothes, no technology, no, no language, doesn't even speak Latin. Um, so it seems, <laughs> it seems that this world that Wes Anderson has created has three classifications. There's wild animals, civilized animals and humans um, although we do see some truly wild tendencies like we from the civilized animals uh, like we said the uh, the growling uh, killing chickens by like in a grisly way with blood sure. um, so, and like devouring food the way Mr. Fox does at the beginning uh, he devours his breakfast <laughs> in kind of this wild way um, the way Kylie goes blank like an opossum 
I mean, there's plenty of other uh, examples where they truly act like animals. Um, but as the movie goes for uh, continues, we feel more and more like these are civilized animals, and they're more similar to humans than actual wild animals. I mean, they have jobs, they have newspapers, they own property, uh, they play organized sports, they go to school, they're science class, like they can write, <laughs> you know. It, it, they wear clothes, like the most obvious one. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea the way they play with like these three tiers of existence. Um, and it, did you did you uh, get anything more from that though? Because I started, I felt like Mr. Fox's reasoning for being reckless falls flat because I see a lot more evidence of him being civilized than him being this wild animal. Well, I got there's a couple different things here. Um, well, the first thing is like. They all act like wild. I mean, they they they're like wild animals, but kind of pretending to be something other than that, you know. And I kind of feel kind of like that sometimes, like in my everyday life. I remember when I first started working in a cubicle. It's just like it was so clear to me for like a little while how unnatural this whole thing was, and it was like we're all just kind of restraining ourselves the best we can to fit into this environment and sure like humans are really good at adapting to situations but like at a certain point like everyone kind of goes crazy so it's always like this uh you know there's like this conscious conscious restraining of your animal nature to you know do be responsible or, or be civilized or whatever but that that the idea that we our animals is always kind of in the back of your mind in a way, you know, and like the more you kind of lean into your more na like natural instincts, like the more, the better you feel and the less like constrained you feel. Okay. So, but in that situation, what, what for humans represents the wolf? Like what is truly, what's the other end? If, if being, well, actual wild animals, I mean, a wolf would fit in that category as well. You know, I, I think like, I think, you're making it's an interesting distinction you're making between the wild animals, civilized animals, and the humans. But I think, in truth, like humans are way closer to the, the civilized animals than we like pretend want to pretend. Like, oh, okay. I think we, I think we're 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 often on the edge of breaking out in some sort of fit of anger or growling or like you know bashing someone's head in or whatever. You know, it's I want I don't want to say like you know I have these violent tendencies. That's not what I mean. I just mean that like we put ourselves into these boxes, um, these like like literally for cubicles, like literal boxes, and we're expected to act like this is like natural, like this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. When in fact, like we need to like stretch our legs and like be out in the sun and like do things that are like, you know, a little more fulfilling than just kind of sitting in a box. Things that are more quote and, unquote natural. Right. So it's like a, it's like a return to like your natural state. And I feel like if you kind of acknowledge that, then you start to see it or how people kind of break down in those kind of environments and find ways of kind of rebelling against that conformity um, in order to get back to a more natural state. I, I think it's, it's really interesting. It, it's way deeper than I expected when I saw them put a, a suit on a fox. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's, 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 it is interesting. And there's, there's more to this too, but it's like, there, I think there's a lot to be said about how you can look outside and see like an animal being free and you're like, oh, I wish I could have that kind of freedom. You know, like uh, maybe you would be sacrificing other things and maybe the grass is always greener, right? But th there's a certain 
element of nature that has always kind of been appealing to humans and like you forcing yourself away from that just kind of makes you at least subconsciously anxious. Oh, sure. And and I I definitely, I think we can all agree that no matter how civilized we are, no matter how deep into, um, you know, modern society we get, we're at our base level, we still are animals, you know? And I I think it's, it's powerful to reflect on that sometimes, you know, and and Fox is very aware of that. It was definitely a touching moment when they got the, the fist of animal power (laughs) together. Wolf power. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it, it was kind of cool because it seemed like Fox feared wolves. Uh, yeah, his first I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah, and because he does. Well, good. Excuse me. Excuse yeah, me. He says that. Excuse me. He says that he's afraid of foxes or, or uh, of wolves. Um, and whenever Kylie brings it up, he always gets agitated. But then when he sees an actual wolf, he's like, it's more like respect that he he admits toward the wolf. Right? Yeah, he's trying to connect to him and be like, "I'm like, I'm like you in a way." And if and when he first brought up the wolves, I was like, "Oh, do wolves eat foxes?" And then I remembered that they're kind of both dogs, although foxes are smaller. Um, so like they're they're actually more closely related than, you know, some other animals. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure why a wolf doesn't become civilized like a fox, right? They're both actually wild animals. Maybe there's like a there's a size like requirement. Like, well, I have a different theory for that. Oh, really? Yes. You want me to go into it now? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I think I think this movie has a bunch of different things in the background going on. One of the obvious ones is like like respecting other people and being like having a diverse community. But I think the bigger one is like this idea of nature over uh like humans. Like that nature will always prevail. Ooh. This is kind of present in Isle of Dogs. Um I don't know if you remember, but there's that giant um, purple volcano that is in the background of like anytime they see the city yeah. and it totally dwarfs the city like you're you see these shots from inside the city there's like skyscrapers and roads and buildings and all this stuff but whenever you see it compared to the volcano the volcano is massive it is it, it takes up you know 90 percent of the screen where the city takes up you know five percent and it's this kind of reminder that like nature is always over whatever we build it's always going to be there longer it's always going to be bigger it's always going to be greater and this movie like does that to a nut to like exp- expresses that a little bit more explicitly that's that's more of a background thing in Isle of Dogs in Fantastic Mr. Fox the lesson I feel like at the very end that we should be taking away is that no matter what they no matter what humans do like nature will find a way life will find a way um, just, or should I say life, uh, we'll find a way the, uh, when he gets into the supermarket, right? It's just the next evolution of this ongoing internal battle between the foxes and the humans. Um, and somehow, you know, these three farmers have combined their forces to create a supermarket, but that doesn't, it's not going to stop the fox. He's too cunning. He's too smart. And he's always going to find a way to get what he wants. And anything that keeps him from his true wild nature is going to seem like suffocating to him his marriage to his wife for example where she says he he has responsibilities to his family that's that's not what he's naturally meant to do and his wild nature is going to come out in one way or the other um, and it's always going to be there and no matter what no matter how much he lies to himself or to his wife it's always going to like make a make its presence known and i think that's true for like i don't know for people exactly but just for like society or like the world at large um where like 
no matter what we do, no matter how we try to civilize or put things in boxes or try to order things, eventually we're going to blow ourselves up or something's going to happen and the earth is going to be just fine and it's going to go right back to doing what it was always been doing um, without even blinking an eye. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I read this interesting book a long time ago. I can't remember what it was called, but it was about, uh, basically it was just like a bunch of scenarios where humans were would disappear from the earth, right? Right. Imagine one day all humans were just gone. Uh, and, and that was it. Like we were all abducted or like all d disintegrated or something and talked about all the different things that, uh, we had built that would collapse. Um, and within like within 10,000 years, nothing we had built would, ex would still be alive. The only thing that would be recognizable would be the Hoover dam. Um, and only because it, it would have been covered in water at that point, and it would be like pretty much safe from most elements. So, but it's also like a very strong structure. But most other things, all of our cities, any buildings we've built, any like like rail stations, bridges, all of that stuff would would have long collapsed. Wait, what about walls? Been... Did they say anything about walls? Walls, yes. No, the walls, even the on fourth the... wall as well. Even yeah, huge walls. That's it, Joey. <laughs> the wall just got ten feet taller. Uh. <laughs> but yeah that's like the whole that's i think that's what this movie is trying to to kind of say is that like nature will always prevail um mr fox as a force of nature although he may be more civilized is always going to be um like pushing against whatever humans build and uh, the wolf is like a bigger symbol of that of like what the what mr fox wishes he could be a true embrace of his wild nature and his true embrace of you know, sticking it to humans, um, avoiding predators and catching prey. Wow. I wasn't giving you enough credit for the, the subtext Oh, and one there. more thing, the lightning. Lightning is a, uh, she keeps painting of pictures of lightning. Yes. And lightning is a primal force of nature. What is more wild than lightning? Wow. All right. There you go. Tie it all together. <laughs> well, to uh, move on to a, a, a slightly lighter topic, the, our villains, um, Boggus Bunce yes. and Bean. Um, when I first heard the little jingle and the way they're presented kind of sequentially, you expect these like three equally powerful evil dudes who are going to have their own unique ways of kind of like, uh, you know, being the antagonizer for Mr. Fox. And it turns out it's really just like one evil guy and like two goons who are just kind of along for the ride. Like they, they recognize that the stakes are not like incredibly high because it's just a fox <laughs> but they're willing to go along with it when bean is totally like pulling out all the stops like they don't even agree to some of the stuff that he's doing it's like how many guys work in your farm like 52 how many work in here 48 all right that's 108 total guys like get our entire combined workforces like they, they never were like <laughs> let's combine workforces <laughs> this was supposed to be yeah. a, hunt, a short hunting trip to get, go after one fox and suddenly they're destroying the entire woods in in in, in order to do it and it's hilarious to see how they continue to be kind of apathetic to the whole process while bean is absolutely going all out um and like when they lose all their stuff when fox and the rest of the animals steal again from all of them but this time take everything uh, bogus and bunts are like we sh definitely shouldn't have gotten into this we've only made it worse like <laughs> they are ready to give up instantly <laughs> Uh, which I just thought was so much funnier than having just like a three-headed monster uh, that okay. is like the total opposition. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Bean was supposed to be like the, the like the the cruelest or like the uh, the smartest of the three, right? And so he takes it the most personally and uh, and all of that. Um, yeah, 
I, I do like the jingle, especially when it comes back um, at the climax of the movie where they're singing it in the background. That's so cool. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was very memorable. Bogus Bunsen B. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I, overall, I feel like this movie is memorable because it's well made through and through, but it's not that much different or novel um, than any of the other uh, Wes Anderson movies. So it doesn't really stand out from that perspective. Um, like the thing that makes it notable is that Wes Anderson made it in a way. Um, and so it's like, it falls into that same bucket of Wes Anderson movies. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a good one for sure, but it's not really much more than that. Yeah. I really liked it. And again, it's like, you want to watch a movie that is really cool to look at, watch this one. You know, it's like, I think it's, uh, the medium really shines the, aesthetic shines through of course i got to use that word as many times as possible on this episode yes. the aesthetic is amazing and um but yeah i guess i didn't walk away from this movie very changed or having a like a new perspective it was just a fun movie yeah and i i think there are other wes anderson movies that stand out to me more there are there are maybe not i don't know they're just as memorable but have stories that stuck with me a lot more and and uh meant a lot more to me yeah and i'm excited moving forward just whenever i run into someone else who's seen this movie to get people's takes on if mr fox ends up redeeming himself or if he truly is problematic Mm. because i think you and i kind of agree um but i but i think the charm (laughs) might convince people to fight a little harder to to support mr fox but okay let's move on to our cool easter eggs do you have any joey I, i have I have one. I don't have any. Okay. Um, so I looked this up on IMDb. Apparently, CGI is only used in one scene of this movie, and it's the flooding of the Flint mine, uh, which is just so impressive because uh, this movie is so visually stimulating, and it's all done in stop motion. And I think that's really where, cool. What part? Is that the part where they're um, in, the, in, the, in the foxholes, like in the tunnels, or is it, um, or is it, oh, it's right before they get washed out, like when the water starts coming in? I believe what well, you mean the um like what the part cider. of this is it's when the cider, cider floods the flint mine and it's when they get they all get flushed out into the sewer yeah so all of that part right there yeah and okay. I'm I'm pretty sure it's just like the I'm not exactly sure what is CGI because uh, I I'm not actually a lot of if you told me more of this movie was CGI I would probably believe you because it seems yeah. like it's impossible to get all the things they got across done by hand um but yeah with all the explosions and like smoke and everything that they do like yeah yeah so another thing uh that i saw on imdb is this movie like just kind of talking about the art direction this movie has like a autumn and fall kind of color palette and it contains almost no greens and blues almost none um and and that and apparently according to imdb like having christopherson have blue eyes and kind of a blue palette as his character, like his clothing and things is supposed to show him as this outsider. And I think that works really well uh, because of that color. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. That's, that's really cool. Uh, Okay. So those are our cool Easter eggs. Let's move on to our songs. And this is a pretty good one. Do you want us to go ahead and play it? Yes, please play it. About a handsome little fox. Let me sing you folks a young. Hey, diddle dee, daddle da, daddle do, doodle dum. Was a splendid little fella, full of wit and grace and charm. Say, zippy zee, zappy za, yappy yo, doodle gum. Well, like any little critter needing vittles for his midlands, well, he stole and he cheated and he lied just to survive. With a doodle dum, 
Yeah, this is called Petey's Song. It's it's freaking great. Yeah, it's so good. It's very catchy. Petey is like this like off screen character for most of the movie. Like Bean just calls him up and has him like Petey, do this for me. <laughs> and then you get to see him in in action, and you realize, oh, that's Petey, because uh, he just he's playing the banjo and he has his whole crew there that are singing a song about the little fox, um, and they're like. Everyone's got a different instrument. Somebody's playing a pumpkin. Um, yeah, the TV and, like, have crew. The yeah. yeah, the guy's playing with his microphone. <laughs> the, the camera like pans over and it sees everybody in the circle and everything. Oh, it's it's cute. Um, and the song's so great. And of course, like it's, it ends with uh, Bean coming by and being like, what was that you were singing? And Petey's like, I don't know. It's just something I kind of made up. And he's like, that's a bad songwriting, Petey. <laughs> he flicks his cigarette at him. Oh, man. And it was not bad songwriting. He actually did yeah, a pretty good awesome. job of summarizing what was going on. Um, if anything, this does like a real service to humans in this movie, making it seem like humans aren't all like, I don't know, trash. <laughs> yeah, they're, some of them are kind of on the side of the fox. Yeah, this is yeah very endearing. Well, I especially liked the TV reporters because they like, why were they even reporting on this? This is such a non-story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, I like that. This is what happens. You know? Well, I mean, is his criticism, is Bean's criticism of PD song like a Wes Anderson, like, am, am I reading too much into this? Is there any meaning behind it? Because I feel like it's Wes Anderson, like, saying, like, screw you to the critics. He's like, look at this so much fun thing that I made, but you think it's bad because it does it doesn't fit your perception of what a good song is or good songwriting is. So, you know, like yeah. screw you. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that it quite holds up because like PD says I just did this like on the fly. Where like if the one thing we could say for sure about Wes Anderson movies is that they don't seem like they seem very purposeful. There's nothing about making a stop motion, like full length stop motion movie that is something that you just did on impulse. You know, that takes months and months and months of dedication. Yeah, but you could also argue that PD song isn't actually on impulse, though. Like he says it is. Yeah, but, but they like, say it is, though. All these other guys are playing along to at the right, like, Yeah, because speed it's a catchy tune. You can, like, just, you can just pick it up. You know, you were jammed with someone. I have, in <laughs> fact. Um, but... I, I, so you don't think it's a it's a commentary at all on Wes Anderson? Uh, I would like it to be, but I just I don't feel like it it fits to what I the two like those two things don't don't jive together. Fair enough. I I just take it as a, a critique of criticism in general, where uh, okay. Bean is not an expert on any of this. Like, why does his opinion even matter? He's just a, a grouchy guy. So him coming around yeah. to like flick his cigarette in Petey's face doesn't mean anything. It was still a great song. I think we all still enjoy Definitely it. Definitely was. Um, all right, let's move on to our quotable moments, and I've got the first one. Let's see some hustle. Coach, we don't have whack bat where I'm from. What are the rules? There's no whack bat on the other side of the river? No, we mostly just uh, run grass sprints or play acorns. Huh. Well, 
it's real simple. Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five twig runners, and the player at whack bat. Center tagger lights a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the whack batter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hot box. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. Go in for ash. <laughs> oh, boy. First, First of all, that polar bear is, um, or whatever he is, is he an otter? Um, I'm not sure, actually. That's played by Owen Wilson. Yes, and the iconic Owen Wilson. Wow. And, wow, yeah. <laughs> He's, um, yeah, I don't know. Coach Skip is the character. Anyways, um, I, I just... I yeah, think that this- makes sense. Because, like, skippers, otters and skippers or something. I don't remember. Okay, I, I don't have anything for that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Whackbat is this, I, I, it's just so complex. It, he's like, oh, it's real simple. And then he immediately goes into this tirade of all the ridiculous rules and all the positions. And then just to the cherry on top is they have to divide how many score downs it was by nine, like this unnecessary level of yes. complexity. I think it's very <laughs> funny, um, especially because a lot of sports actually are pretty complex. Uh, yes, this yeah. is how it feels whenever someone tries to explain a sport to me. Yes, but the thing it's- is, as a sports fan, I was like, yes, I love that there's a sport in this movie. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I studied this scene closely, and I, and I would love to have somebody prove me wrong, like refute this. But for the life of me, I could not discern the actual like way that the game is played when, when he shows you the one at bat that uh, young Christofferson gets. Because it doesn't, at least to me, it, uh, I couldn't, it wasn't obvious how the instructions that Owen Wilson provides actually applied to the game. Um, there were some things that he, are kind of happened, but the the twig runners, they don't do anything. They, they spin in a circle and then they run over to this little thing that it doesn't, you can't see like the object is not detailed enough. So it's hard to see what they're doing. And like some of them don't even get anywhere. Like they, they actually don't <laughs> achieve anything. So uh, I would love to have somebody explain to me how Whackbat works, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't actually, the rules that he said don't actually apply. Well, it could be, I mean, it's, it looks like it's most similar to cricket. Yes. Where you, you hit the, somebody pitches a ball, this in this case, a lit pine cone, and then you hit the, the pine cone as far as you can, and you have to run between two points back and forth. Um, and he, the number of times you were able to do that before they return the ball, it determines your score. Right. Um, but what happens, he hits the pine cone initially, and then he runs past the, the pitcher who gets off the mound and then runs in between where he, where the mound was and where the batter was. And then he slides underneath this like low limbo pole. Yeah, it's almost. like some sort of like a hurdle or something. Right. And, and it's like, that wasn't mentioned by Owen Wilson. And then he knocks over something, runs back, and this time leaps over the limbo pole instead of going underneath it. And then he's running at the pitcher who seems to take a swipe at him, but Christofferson jumps over him, which again, wasn't mentioned. And then he knocks down the cedar stick, which actually is mentioned. Um, but, and then he says, divide that by nine, please. When there's yes, been, I love that. There's <laughs> other guys who have been, there's two guys who literally just switch spots over and over again, which I could see maybe <laughs> the amount of times that they do that could end up being some sort of, um, you know, uh, like count that you divide by nine and then there but 
it doesn't make sense that Christofferson would want to get back quickly then, right? Because but there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of like sports where the guys just kind of stand there and do nothing. At least that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> You're right, which is why I hope somebody can prove me wrong. But I listened to Owen Wilson and I watched the clip and I could not bring any meaning out of it. Um, and I which. Is, was disappointing for me because I would love for there to be an actual like complete set of rules actually, and an actual game here. It, like, I would actually prefer to have seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox, a movie about the best whack bat player ever because right, he right, clearly right. won so many um, MVPs that he he was like a legend at that game. Yeah, well, he's like obsessed with it and he's like living in the past because in his uh, in that first uh, article that you can see, he he has some extended uh, complex whack bat metaphor for what he's trying about life or something. <laughs> And he says in the in the thing, he's like, um, I know whack bat metaphors can be stale to some of my few readers of this post, but if you allow me the opportunity to prove you wrong or something like that, and it's just like like two different columns of him like describing different aspects of the game and how it relates to life. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, uh, yeah. I actually, I read that initially when it first came up. I bet it would mean a lot more to me now, now that I've it seen it. probably would, because he does have a bunch of whack bat terms in there. Yeah. Anyways, I enjoyed Wackbat and Owen Wilson. Let's move it along here. <laughs> How's your old lady doing? Do you refer to my wife? She was the town tart in her day. Wild and footloose and pretty as a mink stole. Is that true? Of course not. I mean, certainly she lived. We all did. It was a different time. Let's not use a double standard. She marched against the But town tart? Shut up. <laughs> so I I liked this for me was one of the least problematic things that Mr. Fox said. Um, because defending his wife, yeah. Well, sure, he's defending his wife, but he's also not like it sounds like a strong way to say it, but like slut shaming. Like maybe it was known that Mrs. Fox or Felicity, rather her her, her actual name. Um, you know, may have been a little bit promiscuous in the past. Is that what town tart means? Uh, that's, what, that's the implication I got. I thought town tart was like she was the prettiest girl in town. Yeah, I, I don't know. You don't think that there's any promiscuousness that surrounds that term? Because <laughs> why, why else would Fox like bring it up? Because what, what I was getting out of it was that, uh, or sorry, Rat bring it up. So when he says that, he's trying to be like, oh, you married like a whore basically where he's oh. like everyone in town had th their turn with her so now she's your wife you know mm. okay am that i am i off sense. base with this i no, thought you that might was be right i just didn't i don't think i got that at all i was not paying i guess i wasn't thinking that way well because then it goes again to be fox where he's like she lived we all did it was a different time let's not use a double standard let's not say uh. that she was a like bad person in the past because she had multiple like partners when that's totally fine for me for me to have done the fantastic Mr. Fox, right? Let's not use a double <laughs> standard that she for some reason is wrong for that. While I'm, and I guess I'm, I'm. He doesn't actually say that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, in yeah, yeah, general, yeah. we look at it as a negative thing for women to have multiple sexual partners versus men who it. There's this terrible metaphor where it's like a okay. a a key <laughs> a key that can open any lock is a master oh key. But a lock that opens to any key is broken, 
right? And that's supposed to be a metaphor for like sex and how like, you know what I'm <laughs> oh, Do you, oh, is it? You understand that? But it's so. No, I understand what you're saying, it, but obviously it falls it's all apart. Wrong. That argument falls apart so quickly. I, I remember seeing that as like a meme when I was like in middle school or something, you know, mm-hmm. where I was like, "Wow, that's actually really deep. Like this makes sense why we're so misogynistic. <laughs> it's all about keys, <laughs> but you could easily switch it around. Like you could do something like a, uh, like a, uh, a burrito that can be microwaved in any microwave is like a master burrito, but a microwave that can microwave any, bur- uh, any burrito is broken. Like it, it falls apart instantly. You'd want a microwave that can microwave any burrito. Like if you just change what the metaphor is, it doesn't have any real weight in, in real life. So I just wanted to point out my man, Mr. Fox here being unproblematic for once in his life saying that <laughs> it's okay if my wife w- like lived her life before we got married, that's totally fine. I wanted to marry a person, not like society's perfect view of like what a woman should be i don't know okay. am i leaping here am i uh, no I think, you're, I think you're right i think you're right i just didn't see that at all but i think you're it makes way more sense than what i was thinking i guess with the context of this quote so all laid out it makes more sense this way cool oh, thank you i'm glad i got my point across. <laughs> <laughs> i also like the scene because he defends his wife and right rightfully so she's she's the best she is the best all right my next quote ash I know what it's like to feel different. I'm not different, am I? We all are, him especially. But there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? So this is the, like the the appeal to diversity that this movie kind of um, is is one of its themes especially at the this is comes back again at the end when mr fox is going around to each animal and giving them their latin names and t- asking them what they're what they're useful at you know like like you all have different talents and everything like what can you what can you bring to the table to help us get out of this situation um and and this is kind of this is true for this moment as well um ash feels like a fish out of water he feels kind of he's very insecure he's looking for his um father's approval um and he doesn't seem to get it um but he he doesn't also doesn't seem to acknowledge that he is different than the other kids in his class and maybe that he needs to lean into that more so than try to pretend to be something other than he is yeah do, i don't know it's a nice little uh it's a nice little message for sure well sure and um i was just a little confused as to how this was resolved because in the end uh well okay he, he uh Felicity tells him to kind of lean into it, right? But then he's like, well, that's, you can think that, but I'd rather be an athlete. Like he, he kind of rejects this notion in the moment uh, and sticks to what he wants to be, this more appealing vision of himself, or at least more broadly appealing to, to what sure. he, he aspires to be more like Christofferson, somebody that his father would see as like genuine value. But in the end, he like proves himself by doing that little whack bat somersault technique and then uh, that releases the rabid dog onto the farmers at the end of the uh, at the end of the movie so he's like look i am an athlete i am i i don't have to be special or weird i can still be what like we have established is valuable to at least like mm. my father or athletics in general which i well, felt like goes also, against that he also saves christopherson by slipping through those cracks when and he was small enough to do that Right. Yes. Yes. Which I felt like was, was a like, lot more fitting for yeah. of a way for him to kind of acknowledge that he is different, but still useful. Um, but then to have him do the whack bat little thing after and be like, I'm an athlete. I felt like it was missing the point. It's like, we didn't also need this. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> all right, what's next? Right. What's our next quote? <laughs> next one. Oh, why'd you have to get us into this, Foxy? I don't know, but I have a possible theory. I think I have this thing where I need everybody to think I'm the greatest, the quote-unquote fantastic Mr. Fox. And if they aren't completely knocked out and dazzled and kind of intimidated by me, then I don't feel good about myself. Foxes traditionally like to court danger, hunt prey, and outsmart predators, and that's what I'm actually good at. I think at the end of the day, I'm just... I know. We're wild animals. <laughs> I guess we always were. So this plays into my big theory about this movie, about how he's... Uh, Mr. Fox is, uh, pretends to be civilized, pretends to be something other than he is, and ends up you know, like always reverting back to his natural state, which is a wild animal. Um, and sure, he also has this kind of like... Uh, like I guess Napoleon complex, I guess is, or like, you know, he has this uh, narcissistic attitude about like him being wanting to be loved by everyone and everyone to think he's the greatest. Um, but I think the bigger lesson here, uh, well, at least the one that I want to focus on is that he is, he wants to, he wants to be seen as kind of like a wild animal or he wants, he wants to lean into his wild nature and do the things that he feels like he's naturally good at. Um, and, and because that's, uh, I mean, that's what he's most comfortable in, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I just wanted to um, bring up this scene is one of the more like beautiful scenes. They, uh, as far as the visuals go, uh, this and when they talk behind the mineral deposit, they have this kind of ethereal glow that could almost come across as heavy-handed because these are supposed to be like the emotional uh, moments in the movie between Fox and Felicity. Um, but I think it works. I, I was kind of blown away. It's one of those moments where you're like, wait, am I still watching stop motion? Am I still watching yeah, like little the waterfall in the background and stuff? Yeah, yeah it is. It's very pretty. Um, and, it, and it fits with the mood that they're the, the tone of these scenes. Well, my next quote actually comes right after this. So, so we'll play that here. I promise you, if I had all this to do over again, I'd have never let you down. It was always more fun when we did it together anyway. I love you, Felicity. I love you, too. But I shouldn't have married you. So I, I thought this was an interesting, like a strong use of words. I shouldn't have married you. That was the one that really caught my attention. Um, and maybe that's what justifies Felicity's kind of actions in this was because she always kind of seems complacent, even though she's against the things that Mr. Fox does. You know, it should have been a little easier for her to realize what's going on when the chickens started showing up and all the meat started showing up, you know? <laughs> well, she realizes it pretty quick. She does. Uh, I mean, she's suspicious after the first, the Boggins After tag. the second day, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she also, I think, realizes that that's what she committed to when she committed to a life with Mr. Fox. Um, whether she likes it or not, he's going to be wild like this. And um, that's not what she was after. That's not what she wanted to sign up for, even if it is what she signed up for, even though she realizes that, which is why she says, I shouldn't have married you because uh, she should have gone for someone who is more, uh, whose values are more in line with hers. More dependable. Well, sure, yeah, more dependable, less problematic, you, anything you want to list off. But I think it's powerful that she at least acknowledges that. In a movie where everyone is quick to forgive Mr. Fox and, and quick to let him enamor them once again and forget about his faults in the past i think it's at, it's good that felicity at least holds him accountable and says this proves that i should never have married you 
I'm willing to stick with you. I'm going to, I mean, at that point he was going to go kill himself, but, uh, <laughs> or, you know, give himself up. But she's, she shows for the rest of the, the movie that she's in it till the end with Mr. Fox. But I, I'm glad she gets her word in and says, I shouldn't have done this because you really are the problematic Mr. Fox. <laughs> true. Very true. Church, you might Church, say. Church, yes. <laughs> all right, my next quote. They say all foxes are slightly allergic to linoleum, but it's cool to the paw. Try it. They say my tail needs to be dry cleaned twice a month, but now it's fully detachable, see? They say our tree may never grow back, but one day something will. Yes, these crackles are made of synthetic goose, and these giblets come from artificial squab, and even these apples look fake. But at least they've got stars on them. I guess my point is, we'll eat tonight, and we'll eat together, and even in this not particularly flattering light, you are without a doubt the five and a half most wonderful wild animals I've ever met in my life. So let's raise our boxes. to our survival. Yeah, so this is when Mr. Fox gets on his literal soapbox uh, to talk about uh, his, um, have his last toast that he never quite got to finish earlier in the movie. Um, and I, I, I think this ties into my my other big theme about uh, like the, the, na- the nature of nature over whatever humans build or the nature of humans nature over humans i should say um because he says there's a couple things in here perfectly i can encapsulate that he says uh they say our tree may never grow back but one day something will um so no matter what kind of marks humans leave on the ground something will grow up in its place and like and at the very end he says let's raise our boxes to our survival um you know implying that no matter what happens they will always find a way to survive um even if they build a giant um uh supermarket over where they live uh they'll find a way to make the most of that situation um and i just think that's like a, a like a very consistent message throughout this this movie and it's well said at this point yeah no i'm i'm starting to see this more nature uh versus humanity or modernity uh, a little clearer at this point um because for me, I was like a literal soapbox. This kind of seems like they're just making fun of the concept of speeches at this point, you know, like they're just like, he's just going to come up here and say something no matter what it is. Uh, but I do feel like he reaches something poignant uh, with his speech because uh, they're they're going to, I don't know, I just don't know if this is a long-term plan to like how much food can they possibly steal before someone figures out there's animals getting their stuff, you know, but the implication here is that they'll find some new way to do it and yeah, exactly. continue to survive. And the war will just continue. And, what, and, and what's more animal than that, dude? It's pretty much everything every animal does except humans is focused on surviving like 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, Joey. I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. All right, so we've actually... D- We've already gone pretty deep in this movie, uh, so this is not going to seem as deep by contrast, but um, <laughs> this movie is based on a book. It's by it's called Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl, 
This is like when you want to name your son Ronald, but they ran out of ends, so it's Roald. Ronald <laughs> <laughs> um, Dahl. No, yeah, no disrespect. You, you've heard of Ronald Dahl, right? No. He wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, I see. I haven't read that and, one. And uh, Friendle. Was it Friendle? No, maybe it wasn't him. The BFG, Matilda. Oh, really? Oh, man. Now I, yes. I have actually read that one, but it's been a while. Uh, hold on. Let me see. Yeah, BFG, James and the Giant Peach. Oh, boy. Egg on my face now. This guy's iconic. Um, the Enormous Crocodile. Ah. The Gremlins. I don't know if that's... No way. He the, wrote The, the Gremlins? Book. Yeah, the book probably maybe inspired the movie. My God. The 90s kids must love this guy. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> um, yeah, he's written many, many books. Um, okay. Well, well very, very I'm famous. Amazed- I'm mainly focused on this one book, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I had not heard of before this movie. And uh, I just wanted to, I read the synopsis, and because this movie is based on it, I wanted to kind of talk about the events of that book versus the events of this movie. So they still have Bogus Bunce and Bean, still kind of the same premise. Um, but the difference is that the book is like a shorter sequence of events uh, because Fox steals from all three of them and then they go out hunting for him and they shoot his tail off um, and then their persistence only goes as far as digging up the hole and then waiting once they figure out that Fox is just down there. They're like, oh, we'll starve him out. Eventually he has to come out, we'll shoot him and they continue to watch. And while they're watching the hole, Fox and all the other animals go and steal everything. It's literally the part where in the movie, Mr. Fox is like, we took everything. Um, that would be like the climax of the film or the, the book. And then he celebrates the feast with all of the other animals. And like the saying goes is that the three farmers are still sitting there waiting for the fox to come out of the hole. Um, so it's a lot less complex. And Mr. Fox sounds slightly less problematic <laughs> in the book. Yeah. Uh, but, but you have to give credit to um, Wes Anderson and everyone who helped him with this movie. Somebody else helped him write it for the screenplay. But early in the end credits, you see... Uh, it says written for the screen or screenplay written by Wes Anderson and somebody else. And that is a good portion of the movie is added on. So it's not just a direct to film, you know, just copying. Out yeah, of the yeah, book. Yeah. There was a whole lot added on top of, uh, Roald Dahl's original story that was able to make this into the hour and a half long feature film that we see today. Yeah. There's like, I mean, it flushes out Mr. Fox as a character, and the original, they had uh, he had four kids, and now he has one kid, and then like a visiting cousin who's Christopherson, uh, which adds like complexity to Ash's character, um, and of course Christopherson. So all of that together, like, um, uh, you know, it just makes it a little bit more fleshed out, and I don't know, it gives it gives it a little bit more to to work with uh, while still respecting the original story. Right. So I just thought that was interesting. It is based on the book, but give credit where credit is due. There's still a whole lot added on top of that. Um, But okay, that is Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, a movie that I've been waiting to see for a long time, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Joey, let's uh, do our rating. So you want to go first? I'll go first, sure. All right, I give this movie Liquid Gold. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I guess I we can't whistle, talk about so it much. I can only do half of that. <laughs> Willem Dafoe it plays kind of the same character in this movie as he does in Grand Budapest Hotel, where he's like just the the, the, the dangerous goon. Yeah, know? yeah, the dangerous guy. He has more <laughs> lines in this one, though. 
<laughs> yeah, and he does like kind of an accent to it, so it sounds a little bit less like it's just straight up Willem Dafoe. But he's de- that's definitely who he is. Like it, it starts. <laughs> Wes Anderson likes to reuse actors, so you start seeing it kind of being the same guy in this movie. Right, as right. It was. You know, I'm something of a dangerous goon myself. <laughs> 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 oh man um so yeah that that's great um i'm gonna i give mr uh, our fantastic mr fox i give this movie seven consecutive all species whack bat most valuable player of the fox year award <laughs> that's hilarious because it's it's freaking great this movie was fantastic um all right so that's gonna do it for for fantastic mr fox joey what's next on affable chat next we are doing galaxy quest Galaxy Quest. Okay, I am you ever seen unfamiliar Galaxy with this one. No. Oh, you're in for a real treat. Excellent. All right. Well, I look forward to it. All right. So um, don't forget, you can call us up. It's been a while since we've played a voicemail, but we do have a toll-free number. It's 833-600-CHAT. Yes, that's 833-600-2428. Call us anytime. The phone line, phone line is always open, um, and if you call us, then we'll play it on the air. Yeah, I mean, did you were there any things we said in this episode you didn't agree with or something you wanted to comment on? Call us up and we'll is let you Is the fox not that problematic? Yeah, yeah. Is, is he the ideal man or the, <laughs> the ideal fox? <laughs> um, call us up and and let your voice be heard. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and wherever you get uh, our podcast, uh, please leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Affable Chat. Make sure you check out our Instagram because it's been popping off uh, ever since we finally got on there. Um, we've been on Twitter for a while, but Instagram is where we're posting stuff as well. Uh, you can also send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. That's right. And we got another video up there recently. So. Yes, I just made a new video. <laughs> Not only are we making weekly content here, we're making YouTube videos uh, as well. So make sure you check that out. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at AffableChat, or our email, AffableChat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.